winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 34th episode in this series of podcasts, which usually come from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. Today, once again, I'm very pleased to say that this episode comes from the Isle of Tyree. I'm Alistair Sanchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Gordon Connell. Originally from Blair Moor, near Dunoon, Gordon moved to Tyree to teach history in 1962. Gordon is an accordion player and one of the most significant teachers of the accordion. The list of his pupils is rather impressive. I'm sure that many of you who listen to the podcast will be more than familiar with the work of Gunna Sound, Skerivore and other Tyree bands. The vast majority of them have their roots in Gordon's teaching. It was a real treat to spend time with Gordon. He's such a humble man and off good company. I was working at the Tyree Fish when I interviewed Gordon, who was teaching accordion there at the Fish. At one point, you'll hear us move from inside to out. You'll know that we're outside because you'll hear various different birds calling very clearly and the odd bee that buzzes by too. Gordon and I touch on music and what it means to him towards the end of the episode. If you're interested in his considerable musical legacy, I suggest checking out some of the links in the episode notes, which can be found on whatwedointhewinter.com. There's a really good programme in there from BBC Alaba, which is well worth a watch. Without further ado, I give you Gordon Connell. Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? Well, uh, Gordon Connell's my name. And where are you from originally, Gordon? I'm from a wee village uh, called Blair Moor, about nine miles out of the noon, down the banks of Loch Long. And it's looking out towards? Well, it looks over towards uh, Cove and in a slant towards Guruk. And how long did you live in, in Blair Moor? Uh, 22 years. I lived all my childhood life up to when I started working. You would have gone to school in Dunoon Grammar? Yes, well, I went to Strone Primary School first and then Dunoon Grammar. So Strone Primary, that's got the fantastic, the modern one we were talking about earlier. Ah, yeah, this is the old one. I yeah. Was Where was the old one? Because uh, the, the new one sits atop the hill. Ah, right about, about halfway down the hill from the from the main road and along a wee kind of lane. And did it have the view of the modern school? Could you see out the windows Not down the Clyde? so much because the head teacher's house was on the other side of the lane. Ah, right. And that okay. kind of, well... Weren't allowed to look out the windows in those days. If you know. <laughs> it's the same in Antopa over in Mull. Right. That's the old uh, Tober Murray Primary School, and the windows are all too high to see out of yeah, if you're right. sitting down. It's, <laughs> right within your family, um, how many of there were you? I'm an only child. Yeah, all the best people are. <laughs> so, so only children say. Right, exactly. Yes, but Christmas was much better. <laughs> uh, uh, well, no, you had to do all the chores as well. That's true. Right. So what did your folks do? Were they from uh, Blairmore as well? They from well, my, fa- my father was born in Strone, about a mile down the road. His father, my grandfather, uh, they came from somewhere in Ayrshire originally, but he, he came to Blairmore as a butcher. And my father inherited the business. And he moved to Blairmore long before I was born. And he, he was born in, say, 1902. And he must have moved sometime between 1902 and 1940 when I was born. Aye. To Blair Moore. Gosh, so did he have a shop or was he itinerant? He had a shop, butcher shop, and he also had a van. And he went up country up to Sakhar and down to Arntini a couple of days a week. And did you ever go around with him when you were wee at all in the van? No, not when I was wee, but when I was a bit older, I used to work in the shop. 
rather than going in the van, I used to work in the shop and make the mince and whatever else. Where were the uh, the beasts supplied from for the meat? They came from the meat market in Glasgow. They came down by what was called BRS, British Road Services, in right. the glory. <gasps> and father took the sides of beef in and, and, the, and lamb and split the lamb, put it and beef, put it all in that big kind of walk-in freezer. Aye. Uh, fridge, more than a freezer. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's really, so the, was local meat a thing then or was... No, no, we didn't get, I think I, think I heard them talking about folk used to be, used to do their own killing, but no, it was long gone before I ever came across that. In terms of the landscape around it, what was going on there? Was it mostly, mostly sheep and cattle or was it... Well, there was a farm a wee bit out of Glenwood, about a mile, mile and a half down the road. But the rest, it was a kind of long road of houses on one side and a seawall on the other side, and it was just along beside this, the loch all the way up. And then at the end of the row of houses was Blairmore Farm, and further along was another farm called Stranhulan Farm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, that was that was really what it was all about, and a few shops in the middle. Aye. And your mother's folk, where did they come from? Mother's folk came from Glasgow. Right. They had a house on the other side of the village from where we stayed, and... Obviously, my father must have met my mother when she was coming down on holiday. Right. I, I, they never gave me any of the details about their romance or anything. No. You don't ask these things in the 1940s. Well, indeed, yeah. And <laughs> so, do you. Yeah, it's a good scalp for your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might get with this podcast series, my, my ears would be well scalped. <laughs> but, so, do you remember your grandparents then as well? I, my, my grandfather died when I was. I don't, my mother's folks died before I was born. My grandfather died when I was six, coming on seven. I remember him quite well, as well, stayed in the same house. Mm-hmm. My, myself, my mum, dad, my granny and grandpa. My granny lived till she was 95. Oh my goodness. And by that time, I'd, I had just come to Tyree to work, to start yeah. my job. Yeah. And I got word that she had died because she broke her leg and she had to go into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she might have been, she might have made the turn. I'm sure she would have. She looked pretty healthy to me anyway. Amazing. What did she do for her life? What was her... Apparently she was in some kind of service in her young days. But then when she married my grandfather, she was producing a lot of kids. I mean, there's, there's about 11 or 12 kids, but nine of them survived. Gosh. Three of them died young. One, one at nine years old, one, a couple of one or two. That's, That's the way it was. And it was very just, common, uh, yeah, indeed. What was it to grow up in, in, in Blamore? Were you kind of conscious of being rural or was it just what it was? It was just, there were so many places to play and you had a few wee pals. Played down the shore, you climbed yeah. trees, yeah. you played football as a wee kind of pitch in the outside of the village and climbed the hill, Blamore Hill, that was a big safari when we could do that. And we just made our own entertainment. We just... Dovel along, yeah. We didn't think about about towns and cities and things. They were just where somebody else lived. Did you ever go up to Glasgow at all? I went once or twice. And I used to go to Creef. Really? Every probably practically every school holidays. My mum, my dad would come up for the weekends, and that was my auntie and my cousin that stayed there. It wasn't the hydro. It was just. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> she uh, she spoiled me. I mean, mm. I, I looked forward to going up to Creef and my mum and kind of pals there as well in the summer. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think your summer pals is such a it's such an important part of life yeah, growing it's, up, it's, isn't it? It's something different. I, I. Yeah. Mm. 
From Stroan Primary, you would go to Dunoon Grammar. Grammar. Yeah. yeah. So do you still have any pals from that time around this? I've got one uh, guy that I knew quite well, and I got in touch with him through Friendry United. And he, he lived in Dorset by that time. That was maybe about 51 years since I saw him. I actually went and met him one summer. Aye. How was that? Briefly. That was great, yeah. <laughs> He emailed me a photograph of himself just to make sure I recognised him. Yeah. And I didn't do the same back because I thought, I'm, I'm not going to changed. Ha ha. <laughs> Fantastic. Gosh. That's mad to catch up after but all. The rest, the rest, no, I don't have, no really. There's one, one, one man that was in primary school with me. He's taken to phoning every now and again. Well, that's lovely. And that's good. He, he stays in Stranraer. Uh-huh. Uh, Alan Aiken. And I know the farmer... Well, the farm, the farmer, the farmer was talking about his son was my class through primary, and I, I mean, I would know him if I saw him. <laughs> Who were the kind of big characters? Because Dunoon Grammar had some really impressive teachers, or quite some severe teachers during your era, I'm sure. Do, are there any kind of good tales of of Dunoon Grammar that that stick, come out to your mind at all? Well, we we used to rate the teachers by the way they drew the belt. Oh, really? Whether it was full brute force power. Or like that, we a wee twist at the end, which is oh yeah, pretty p- painful. A nippy one. And some of the ladies, their gowns get in the way. And <laughs> well, there's one the poor poor music teacher. I mean, it was a, a real shame because he's a wee guy and he's very talented and he was playing away and getting us to sing. And one or two of the boys decided they would have a competition to them, see how many of the belt they could get in a period. Oh, for goodness' sake! And one one was a big bully kind of guy, and the other one was okay. So. The bully went out to get the belt and he kept drawing his hands in and the teacher started belting him in the legs and he belted him backwards out the door and they were out there for a wee while and when we came back in, the big fella was crying and we had kind of mixed feelings. You know, when you think back on it, it was mm-hmm. brutal. Very brutal. Yeah. We thought, well, that guy's a bully. Yeah. Him right, sort of thing, so. <laughs> it's very animalistic, isn't it, really? But I mean, it was... It was Pretty, pretty crude what they were getting up to. Yeah, right. So when you were in Dunoon then, a significant change came upon the area in the 1960s. Oh, when the Americans came? Yeah. It was uh, it was different. There was, again, mixed feelings about that because there was a cafe in Dunoon called Juno's. Yes, yeah. And we used to go there in odd time for a, a juice. And when the Americans came, up went the price. Aye. There was a cinema. Yeah. They put six months in the price. Oh, that's quite a lot. But we met, but by the time they came, I was kind of age 18, 19, 20 going to dances. Okay. And we met, met a few of them. Basically, the ones you met were fine. Yes, yeah. Very chatty, and it took, took them a wee while to get used to the whiskey. Ah, <laughs> yes, yeah. But uh, they, they, were, they were good. Some of them were quite good company, aye. I guess that was one of the things that they, there was competition for the lassies then when. Aye, well. How did that go down when they came in? Well, uh, there was competition, but at the same time, some of the kind of dodgy lashes from Glasgow came down as well. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. They've been mentioned in this podcast before, yes. <laughs> so well, There's still plenty to go around, though. <laughs> Do you remember any of the people that uh, that successfully paired off with uh, American uh, navies? The first girl that paired off with an American, I didn't know her, but she made the press. She was called Anna Adams. Right, okay. And she was the first girl to marry an American. And I think one or two of our, our class probably yeah. hitched up as well. Yeah. See, when I came up to Tyree, I kind of lost touch with all that kind of thing that was going on. 
But we have friends in common uh, who've gone to America. Aye, Joy Moody. Yes. Yeah. Is Jan in America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of them are in America. She was our kind of class, well, she was a kind of girls' class captain. Oh, fantastic. Great athlete, great looker. Oh, still both, still aye, both. Aye, uh, lovely, lovely people. But when did you come to Leavedon? And... Well, I went, I went to Glasgow Uni in 1958. What did you go to do? To, to do a, an MA degree. And then I did that three years and then I went to Jordan Hill for a year for teacher training. Were you always intended to go into teacher training? No, I didn't know what I was going to do. I hadn't a clue. What was your MA in? Uh, history and Economics. So who were the kind of big tutors in, in those days? Because those, those were significant <coughs> things. Uh, well, the, the history professor was a guy called es- Esmond Wright, who was quite a well-known histor- historian. He became a, an MP at one point after that. The modern studies, well, it was forerunner. Modern studies hadn't been invented when I was at school. Aye, yeah. Donald Robertson was seen to be the head. Al- Alistair... Nicholson. Okay. They're, they're kind of well-known names in their own yeah. time, you know. Yeah. And what what did you kind of study within the period of history? Did you do any Scottish history at all at that point? No, unfortunately. There, there was a subject, a separate subject called Scottish History and Literature. Yes, yeah. And I was desperate to do that in my third year, but I was carrying so many other subjects. I had to do a, a philosophy subject. Oh, nice. And I had to do a science subject. Yeah. So I didn't have time to do my Scottish history, so I missed out on that. I'm sure you've caught up since. Well, I've caught up. And and before as well. And were you the first in your family to go to uni? Yes, I. Wow. I. Oh, my, my my father and my grand, grandfather were both butchers, and my mother was had a full time job bringing me up. I suppose. So, were you conscious of that as a significant thing when you were young? Oh. Well, my father used to say, "I don't want you to begin into the butcher shop. There's no business, no future in it." He kept saying that because I was doing all right at school, so yeah. I used to stick in at school, you know, and I was encouraged to. It's a fine trade though, being a butcher. Ah, it was fine. Oh, I used to enjoy working in the summertime. Yeah. But uh, as it happened. The building was condemned. Oh, really? Because the building didn't belong to him, but he wasn't allowed to put the sheep up for ten minutes to split them, because it was on the customer side of the counter. Ah, right. Okay. And there was a wee crack in the floor, new floor, one sink. You had to have two sinks, one for the hands and one for the utensils. Yeah. And he was going to have to pay the money to do that, improve the property when it wasn't his to improve. So he just decided to chuck it. He was actually a radio engineer as well. Really? And he went into telly. That was his hobby. Oh, gosh. He, he only went into the butchering trade because my, his older brother went off to the army in the First World War and then he went off to Canada. Gosh. So that's the way that, that worked out. And have you still got Canadian cousins as well now? I haven't been in touch with them for years and years and years. So what was what was Glasgow Uni like? What, uh, what period was that? The 60s? Uh, 58 to 61. Oh, hello there. That must have been <laughs> quite a laugh. It was uh, it was hard going. Oh, aye. I found studying hard going. When you're at school, the teachers are telling you what to do and giving you homework. Aye. Uni, you get a lecture and you've got to do your own thing. I found that quite difficult to get into the way of. Yeah. So I struggled in my first couple of years. And then I just had to knuckle down. I got a bit addicted to snooking billiards for a while, to be honest. Right. <laughs> Were you betting on it as well? No, 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 no. Uh, I just trying to play it. No. Waste, wasting time. 
So what did you do apart from snooker and billiards for, for fun of an evening? Oh, I played football. Right. Not, not in Glasgow, but at, at home. I, I took up golf when I was 10 in Blairmore and I played every weekend when I come down Gosh. from uni. I, so you would commute back to Blairmore at the weekends? Yes, yes. Where were you staying when you were in Glasgow itself? I stayed in Diggs, uh, Kersland Street, uh, just straight off Great Western Road, near Botanic Gardens. Lovely, in a lovely part of town. For two years, and then I went various other places. Aye. I kept having to sit, do resets, and my landlady eventually said, oh, we can't keep the place open for you, yeah. in case you don't come back. So I had to move on. <laughs> so you finished university uh, with a master's from Glasgow Uni. Well, MA, high. Yeah, that, the, ordinary, the ordinary, very ordinary degree. <laughs> Where did you go straight away after that? I went to Jordan Hill for a year to oh. teach a training. How was Jordan Hill at that time? It was okay. It was a bit more kind of free and easy and you got to, you got kind of spare time to do things. Uh, there's some very interesting lectures, some not so. Sometimes the lecture never turned up. It was a kind of a, a bit of a mixture, to be honest. Right. But uh, it was all right, eh? And that's that's by the time the sort of swinging sixties are starting, I guess. They were starting, aye, aye. How was Glasgow in the sixties like that? What, how did it feel? Well, they were just starting. I didn't really know it's any difference from fifty eight to sixty two. To be honest, I never, I never actually spent time out in Glasgow during the week. I may have gone to the odd football match, but no, not, not going to keelies and dances and things because didn't have any money. Of course, and I, I saved the money for going out to have a hooli when the weekend came. <laughs> Where would you where would you go for a hooli at home? What would just Well Danoon had kind of modern dancing every Saturday night. Where was that? In the the old pavilion next to the Queen's Hall. Ah right, okay. And on the Friday night we would go to Strachar, Tinnebruch, Colin Tribe, Lenderul, wherever there's a dance on. And that was great. Aye. Yeah. <laughs> that was a kind of Kayleigh dance type things. When I was when I was young a young man, the the, the the most exciting and wonderful girls were always in Tenebrugge. By God, they Aye. were wonderful. Aye. Same as me. Aye. So your working life starts in, in Dunoon, or where did you start? No, I started here. I came here. Right. How did you How did you find a job in Tyree? From well, there was a day in college when all the education authorities sent reps round directors, assistant yeah. directors, yeah. and I thought, well, I'll go to their guy one and see what's doing. So I went up and said, "How would you like a job in Tyree?" I said, that'd be fine, because I knew it was an island, I didn't know where it was. And they said, right, okay, we'll, we'll give you, confirm that in writing. So I went away down home to play and go and get the atlas out. <laughs> and I, I, I'd known it from the second verse of the, the hiking song. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the only kind yeah. of connection I had. So yes. I thought, it's going to be a nice, a nice quiet place, and that's what I want anyway. So I think High Scare's the only only place that's not in that song. Uh, <laughs> that's about uh, it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hi. Uh, do you remember the journey here from... Did you come from Oban? I you came come from, from Oban, aye. What did you think? Well, I remember it was a decent enough day in the early morning, but I was out looking over the rail, passing call, and was looking at call. I thought, there's not hardly any houses here. What's Tyree <laughs> going to be like? It's even further out. And I was kind of thinking, this is going to be a real desolate place, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> aye, yeah. <laughs> Tyree became home very quickly, I guess. Aye, well, I stayed in Diggs for a couple of years and I moved around and then I settled in where I stay now. Who did you stay with when you first got here in Diggs? I stayed in, you might be able to see the house, you see the, the house where the white gables facing yes, you? yeah. The one behind that? Uh-huh. With the kind of orangey, dirty orangey roof? Yes. That house there. 
It was a Mrs. Chicken. Mrs. Chicken? That was her married name. She was a McDonald's. She married a, an RAF guy. Right. But I think he had died or... So, was there much of a presence of the RAF on the island at the time when you came here? When I came here, there were still there's still about maybe half a dozen of them here. They stayed in a, one of the huts or houses over in where I stay now, Crossbow. Yeah. But there was only just a kind of skeleton crew. But they, they were quite good guys. So I used to get, get to know them. Right? What were their, their duties when they were here at that point? What were they doing? I have no idea. Just, I don't know whether it had anything to do with the airport or, or right, okay. I, I don't know. So you'd be here when the golf ball was built? Oh, I had. You see it from Calgary and Mull. That's the first kind of encounters okay. I had with it from, from Mull. But it's a, is it a radar station? It's a radar station to track planes back and forward across the Atlantic. That was about mid-80s that was built. All oh, right, OK. Yeah. And what did you think when you saw it going up? I just thought it was good. <laughs> yeah. There's people working here and some of the locals got work. And, and there's stuff going on at the pier. The pier was getting re- uh, extended and everything at the same time, so... There was all, all sorts of things like that going on and it kind of gave a wee bit of a buzz to the place. Did any of those people that came to work stay here in the end? Well, one guy from the golf pool, I think it was, married a local girl and she's away, they're, they're down in Campbellton. Oh, there's a lot, quite a few romances going on, but I yeah. don't think any of them kind of <laughs> survived, survived the, the work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Programme. <laughs> Uh, you come here and you're a, a teacher. You're teaching, was it modern studies? And... No, well, I taught history. Right. Modern studies hadn't been invented at that point. As you said, yeah, sorry, yeah. And I was asked to teach all sorts of things like English and maths, arithmetic and science, which I didn't know an awful lot about. And I took the kids out for football on a Friday afternoon, that, that kind of thing. So that's how my week was filled. A very rich tapestry. Well, I don't know about the science bit. <laughs> that, that was a bit of a struggle, but... Then modern studies kind of came on, on stream and I started teaching it as well. When did, where did modern studies come from? Because I remember it as a kid, I, I don't know, did it start in the 80s, modern studies? Oh, no, no, it started in 1964, I guess. Uh-huh. It would have been round about then. And uh-huh. it was a kind of more citizenship type. Yeah. Uh, a different approach from history and geography. It was like a um, study of... Contemporary society, yeah. National Health Service, agriculture, comparing poor country with rich countries, and all that sort of thing. So it was, it was quite an interesting subject. So my, my economics degree kind of morphed into that. But I went back to Jordan Hill in 1969, took a wee fortnight's course in modern studies to get a qualification. Fantastic. It, my qualification was in history. Yes, yeah. So that's how I got into that. And what were the what were the kids like when you came here? What was what did you after? Did you do a probationary year somewhere first? I tried a couple of years here. Right. Okay. And head teacher had to monitor one of my lessons, and fair enough. I just kind of tended to carry on. You know, yeah. you, you weren't too conscious of it, but you knew you were on probation. Are there any characters from that period that stick out at all from your first couple of years? There's lots of characters, lots and lots. We we think of them now as being characters. We we might be turned by the young. There's just the characters now, but there's lots of people. I lots of some of the old crofters were real characters. One man was uh, a prisoner of war in the Second World War, yeah, and he was at Dunkirk as well. Blooming heck! But he wasn't too keen on telling the story. Yeah, the doc eventually got him to tell his story on on tape. Wow! But uh, he he was a character. Some of the characters were quite hard drinkers as well, you know. Yes, that was often and the way. You met them down in the pub and 
uh, you always knew something daft was going to happen or whatever. <laughs> what was the music scene like at the time as well? Well, when I came here, I didn't know much about playing accordion. There was one man who played at dances called Murray Omond. All right, okay. And when I got, I got this wee accordion from the house, I don't know if you can see it from here. See, uh, just behind the school, there's a, a mill. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, the... that, that house was a, a croft house. Right. And he was about three years younger than me. We used to kind of kill with each other. New Year time, we brought this wee box out. Can you play it? I said, no, I haven't played Can you? No. I said, well, I'll buy it off you. That's how much? £10. Okay. Fantastic. So I went away home. And no, no telly pictures in those days. Long Aye. winter's nights. That's where, where I Fantastic. Got, the, got the urge to play it. And so when, do you remember playing at your first Kayleigh? Um, yes. What was that like? Well, it was in the school. And I played, it was actually, a, it was a teacher's going away do. And she was from Mull. Oh. So I learned Hemi Mula. Ah, oh, Fantastic. <laughs> And I, I played that, <laughs> and that was uh, the first bit. They were kind of few and far between. I didn't like playing with myself. I'd rather play along with other folk. Oh, definitely, S- yeah. Still do. Yeah, don't have the same as well, yeah. So who was it? It was from Mull. She was a Miss Christina McKinnon. Ah. Now, she was old when I came here. Right. We just called her the granny because she was older than everybody else. She's an awful nice woman. Uh-huh. She's she taught in the maths room. Aye. So the maths room and Mary's room were primary one to four, three, uh-huh. and the other one was primary four to seven. Right. And the rest was secondary. Gosh. <laughs> Quite a thought. We only had about six secondary teachers. Aye. That's, I mean, why, that's why I had to do all these subjects. Were you always interested in, in music anyway? As a, a, a I listener? always liked listening to dance music. When, when I was growing up, and the Scottish dance, Take the Floors. Oh, yeah. Predecessor. Yeah. On a Saturday night. And when I was in my teens, rock and roll hit the airwaves, and I was mad keen in that as well. It must, that must, I always think that that must have been the most magical moment, the first time you hear Elvis. It was a big, big change in the kind of music that had gone before it. It was a lot of crooning and stuff. Oh, yes. And it, this just galvanised people. Yeah. Do you think it's had an inf- Im- impact on folk music at all, that the presence of rock? I think it's had an impact on everything, because even, even the kids, some of the kids today, oh, yeah. the late Elvis and oh, yeah. like that, you know. And, oh, my wee man likes all that sort aye, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever have your own band when you were playing at all? I didn't have my own band. I played in a band with uh, the chap that played the accordion. Eventually, once I was half decent enough, uh-huh. and I played in his band for 25 years. But after, when I started Lovely. getting uh, my pupils... Aye. Uh, like Angus McPhail would be the first, perhaps. Right. And I used to play in a band with him Aye. and his brother Neil and a girl called Lorraine Brown. Okay. They all played accordions. And then as Daniel came up through the ranks, I played in a band with him. And I was supposed to be the lead accordion, but they were better than me, so I just let them. Fantastic. And I did the same with like Ian Smith and Ailey McFadgen. And now a guy called Conor McPhail. <laughs> called the band the Cornig Cayley Band Fantastic. because it was taught in Cornig School Aye. and they all lived in Cornig at that time. <laughs> so what was the first, Did you? how did you come to, to teach accordion? Well, around about 1969, there was a policy to, to give people the chance to do hobbies on a Friday afternoon. 
And I thought to myself, well, I can maybe take them for football or golf or maybe according because I'm maybe just about good enough to keep ahead of some of the ones that were coming up. <laughs> so I offered according and, and that was okay for a while. Yeah. And now and again I chose football or yeah. something else. But that, that's when I started actually teaching somebody else to play. I wish I'd been able to teach myself as well as I can teach them. <laughs> We talked about it before we started recording there. So I'm 40, I'll be 41 this year. Mm -hmm. And I've always been part of Gaelic culture, mostly at the edge of things. So growing up in Danoon, you're that strange place that's sort of not quite yeah, the Highlands, not right, quite the right. the central belt. It's this, <clears throat> you're sort of an outsider growing up in Danoon, I always feel. You've got a few Highlanders, but there's few and far between. Exactly. Aye. But and my family are from Collinsay and Gearloch and London and other places. Uh -huh. So there's this connection to the Celtic the Gaelic world and I would, I, I just, I'm so conscious of Tyree being somewhere that music, it's an island of music in a way that everyone else has got music but Tyree has this brand of musical identity. How, where does that come from, do you think? Well, in the, in the old days the, there were always a lot of singers in Tyree and they sung all the old Gaelic songs with the 14 verses and so on. Yes. And we also had, when I came to Tyree at first, we had Quite a number of the older generation played the button box. Oh, lovely, yeah. And they would play like they'd play it. There's five schools at the time, this one and four others. And they would play at maybe the kids' Christmas parties and stuff like that. And they, they had their own style. And then the chap that I played in the band, he, he kind of popularised the, the piano box. The piano keyboard, aye, yeah. Uh, but it was always there. You know, there's always some kind of, not too many fiddle players. Fair number of pipers. Yeah. They, they did eventually get together and form a band, but there's a lot of pipers throughout the island just played in their own barn sort of thing. There's always been a kind of diversity of music as well as a lot of music. At the face here, we're doing a face song, which is Hook Me Cool, Risha uh, yeah. at, the, at the moment. And last year it was another local, local song as well. These local songs that... Tyree's very strong on these <coughs> songs as part of its identity. Has that always been the case as well? I think so. Well, the song this year is quite an old song. Yeah. The one last year was actually written for the Fish. Was it? By oh. Craig Espy, who's the, the fiddle player in Sky Vore. Right. It's called Tyree in the Summer. Oh, yes. I think, I think that was the one that's lovely. Last year. Yeah. Ah, it's good. Yeah. There's quite a lot of local songs. There's, there's local singers who have maybe won, won the mod and so on and they've tended to kind of keep these songs on the back boiler and bring them out now and again well, so if you sat down and thought about it there's dozens of songs that's one of the great things I, well, the, the first episode of the podcast I did was uh, or I even recorded was with Duncan McGilp and Tobin Mori yeah, yeah. and I went in and I brought uh, Orin and Yorna uh, the songs of yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, songs of the the, 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 the corn is it barley the songs of the yeah. barley um, which is the, the book sell it the face here and there's got so many great tidy songs yeah. in there and all, all these songs are written by people who have been dead for oh, why? long and there's people who are still alive there's another book there could be another book tomorrow of, of several of, of people who are and Angus McPhail yes stuff he writes yeah yeah, yeah. his mother's Flora you know there's all sorts of that's right people writing stuff start your life in uh, rural Argyllshire near the Clyde do you see any parity? Do you see anything similar between the communities that you grew, the community that you grew up in, and the community of Tyree at all? A bit, 
I think where I grew up, there's all sorts of different types of people with all sorts of different types of accents. Yes. And you got, they're all fine. You got to know them. And, yeah. But here, there's, there's a, a definite accent. And, yeah. You know, and, and that, that was a fair, a fair difference. And also in Blairmore, there's some very rich people. And yes. Some not so rich. Yeah. Here, it's a bit more evenly spread out. I would, I would say that. I mean, that's just as a... Off the top of my head, sort yeah. of thing. And what is it about Tyree that's made you stay? What is it that's made... Ah, well, there's, there's three things. Mm-hmm. One is, not in any particular order, mm-hmm. <laughs> one's the beaches. Yes. It's just fantastic. I, I try to go, and go for a walk on the shore every day. Aye. Two is the friendliness of the people. You know, they, they, make, they make you feel at home. Oh, it's fantastic. And there's no kind of side or one-upmanship. It's, it's even like, like with the bands. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they get on well with each other. Yeah. And the third, of course, is the music. Uh, and I couldn't there's no other school probably I could have gone to where you could go out at lunchtime and play football with the kids every day which is what I used to do when I was fit enough <laughs> that's fantastic uh, and is there any musical highlight from your time here that just sticks in your mind any moment you think oh aye when I learned to play the bass ah <laughs> yes when I got the two hands working together that was a big moment or maybe when Angus McPhail won the mod. That was the first accordions to win the mod. Oh, aye. We're getting places here. <laughs> well, I think that's... I think that's is, is there anything you want to say? Is there anything about the character of Tyree that you think needs, that, 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 that's not been said? Or is there something that's been said again and again that's worth saying? It's just, just the whole aspect of Ireland. If you, if you go down to the beach now, an evening, and you see the sunset and you look at it, and who the hell would want to live anywhere else? You know? <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. That sounds like the end. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Gordon. I'm really chuffed that we got to spend that time together. I think it's worth stating as well that for all the pupils that Gordon's taught, he's done it on a voluntary basis. So he's given of his time on a voluntary basis to teach all his pupils, which is an incredible thing. Tyree Fish, where both Gordon and I were teaching, is a great thing. It's a superb way to introduce young people to Gaelic culture, and it's a lot of fun. I always love the sessions in Cayleys that are had throughout the week, where the tutors let their hair down and just play. For young people to experience sessions in Cayley music and Gaelic song in a relaxed environment is a very important thing. As ever, more information and links can be found on whatwedointhewinter.com. Now, the next couple of episodes of the podcast are going to come to you from the Isle of Colonsey. I was there on holiday with my family last week, and I was able to get to speak to a few folk about their lives and experiences. If you listen to most of these podcasts, you'll know I'm a bit nostalgic about Colonsey, so it was really good to go and talk about the realities of life there, and to keep it current and not locked in a prism of memory like General Zod and Zora floating through space. I had such a good time on Colonsey that I'm really keen to go back soon and talk to more people. I'm really chuffed that I'm able to get out and about and chat to people on other islands, as I'd always hoped that this podcast would cover as many remote communities as possible. I'll be back in Mull in a couple of weeks too, as I'm mostly going to be working from home for the next month or so. I think it's also worth saying why I'm making these podcasts in light of our current politics and the world we live in. I just want to bring a moment of happiness and positivity into our lives. 
I hope that when you listen to these podcasts that you're transported away to another place where you're sitting with me and whoever I'm talking to that week. I just want us to have a moment away from the cares of the world, a breather. It's about sharing the lives of people in remote communities and bearing witness to them. It shows there's so much more to our lives than it may at first seem from the outside. It's a record of culture, stories and people. Also, I love the days of the great interviews like the early years of Parkinson and Dick Cavett where people talked and had something interesting to say. They weren't just there to sell something. Storytellers, talkers, people sharing human experience just for the joy of it. I'm slightly worried that I'm turning into Alistair Cook with his letter from America. But uh, I think I'm much closer to being Alan Partridge. Anyway, if you wanted to support the podcast, you can do so by donating via PayPal or Patreon. You'll find the details on the website under the Donate tab. I do this podcast entirely for free because I think it really matters. Any support you can offer is very much appreciated. And thank you very much indeed to Kirsty. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thank you. If you wanted to leave a review on whichever platform you listen to the podcast on, I'd be very grateful. As the more reviews and ratings there are, the more people can join us to hear these stories and join us on our adventures together. Thanks, as ever, to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always great to hear from you. So, I'll be back soon with the first of two interviews from the Isle of Colonsey, which I can't wait to share with you. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Shinakate, Morantang. <laughs>